Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting Well Workplaces podcast episode with me, your host, Tom Bosner. Today, we've got a special episode lined up with Bjorn Bilhard, who is the CEO and founder of Ability, who joins me all the way from Texas. Now, Ability is a global leadership development company, and prior to launching Ability, Bjorn co-founded Inspire Learning in 2001, and he is considered an early pioneer of the e-learning programs and business simulations. Bjorn holds a BA from the University of Texas and an MBA from Harvard Business School. Very smart guy. And his book, The 12-Week MBA, which we'll talk about today, provides the most important essential skills and tools that Uh, included in an MBA education and is based on Ability's 12-week mini MBA program that they've taught to over 100,000 professionals at global Fortune 500 companies like Coca-Cola, Dell and the New York Times. Welcome to the show, Bjorn. How are you? Good. How are you? Very good. And uh, thanks for staying up kind of late in Austin, Texas, I believe. Not to worry. Or or as you say... In Australia, no, no worries, mate. Right, this is how <laughs> that's it. Yeah, you'll probably hear me say "mate" a few times um, in this conversation. So, uh, yeah, take it, take it how you like it. Um, yeah, great to have you on. I really appreciate your time, and also congratulations on launching your your book, the Twelve Week NBA. I've got a copy here, um, and I've had a good flick through so far. I'm looking forward to reading uh, it back to back. Um, when I get the opportunity, but yeah, well done. It's, uh, it's no, no mean feat writing a book. Yeah. It's, uh, I've had a great co-author and just amazing collaborators as well. So really, uh, it, I, it didn't write itself, but it, it was, um, you know, it's a culmination of a lot of the work that we've done in the HR space. So, um, it, it was, uh, it was, it was a really fun project that took about, uh, two years and, and, uh, we're pretty proud. Fantastic. And my understanding is it's the the work or the the culmination of work into the book is a summary, effectively, of the twelve week program that you guys run at Ability. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. So you know, a lot of people write the book first and then they create a curriculum around the book. We actually have had a curriculum. Uh, we you know, started in training and development uh, twenty two years ago, uh, and we've been building this curriculum for the past you know, seven more more than that 10 years now and so we've had this really strong curriculum we've had about a hundred thousand people that have gone through it around the world with many of our fortune 500 clients and so at some point we said we need to actually write and put this all in in formats more accessible to people as well uh so yeah you can now buy it in the book bookshelf um it is a tour de force of uh you know the things that are essential universal and timeless in an mba uh, so there's a lot in there, um, but it is modular. So you can you know, read about the number side, or you can read about the people side and, you know, create a curriculum, if you will, for yourself by finding the chapters that are most important for you. Mm, I love that. I love the, the idea as well of obviously anything in a shortened version is always appealing to people who are feeling time poor most of the time. The other thing that's happening naturally every year is the speed of change continues to go faster in the way people work, uh, the way business is done. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really looking like, as I, as I said, I've read some of it so far and I just really like how you've pulled it all together in a very systematic sort of way. Um, 
Bjorn, tell me how you ended up in the e-learning space um, because I understand yeah. there was a business before this one. Yeah, uh, yeah. And actually, uh, so the business before Ability was a pure e-learning development company. So, you know, what's interesting is that one of the misperceptions about the, the 12th MBA is that it's a curriculum e-learning where you just sit in front of the computer and click next and from the computer. And we actually, we moved away from that. I've moved away from that sold my first company. Uh, so Ability, what we do and what the 12th Big MBA is, it's all a social experience. Um, so there are a lot of um, interactions, not just with a professor and a faculty member, also with peers. The entire curriculum is an interactive exercise, if you will. And um, we have uh, these leadership simulations that are at the core of it. So yeah, so how did I end up in e-learning? And my first gig was with actually a, a software development company. I realized that Yes, I love software, I love technology, but I didn't want to be stuck, uh, you know, kind of just developing tools. I, I found there, there needed to be some higher calling and uh, education has always been something that I have felt was near and dear to my heart. I, I love my experience studying. I, I actually loved my, I did have, I did get an MBA. I, I loved my two years in business school. And so in 2001, when the internet was booming, you know, it's the first kind of wave of internet companies. I, I looked around and I was like, what do I want to do with my life? And um, I, I realized that my passions are the intersection of technology, education, and entertainment. And so I tried to figure out what can I do with that, with those three passions of mine and e-learning, you know, kind of really creating high fidelity experiences for people that want to learn online was that was one of the things that fascinated me. So I did a few field studies, professor, I can talk more about that. And the, you know, the rest is history. We started my first company, Inspire Learning. I sold that in, in, in 2015 and started the ability out, you know, with, with an outgrowth part of Inspire in 2015. So like mm. grew that since, since 2015. Fantastic. So it's from, from pure e-learning now into uh, what you might call a hybrid type model. So yes. there's the simulations, uh, as you, as you called it, um, yep. that sounds interesting now. So going into creating ability, which is, as I said, a bit more of a hybrid model, why do you think, or what, what really makes a, an amazing learning experience do you think in a leadership development program course, because I've been on some good ones, really good ones. Um, and for me, and probably this, this fits in with what you're saying is. I'm a really experiential learner. I do things first and then think about it second and learn from, from actually doing. Um, yep. Whereas uh, I remember being at university studying, uh, my background is physiotherapy and I had to learn all the different parts of the body and it felt like it was rote learning. But as soon as I could get my hands on a person in front of me, I was really uh, connecting the dots then, but I was terrible with the textbooks and, the, uh, and just listening to people. <laughs> Yeah, and it, it really, is, I think it's one of the, you know, things that people misunderstand about education. Uh, and I, I think as honestly leading to a lot of pain, uh, you know, even in, in K through 12, where people mistake knowledge for education. And especially in today's world where, you know, knowledge is not just at, at Google and your fingertips, but it's also now, you know, even more so in AI, something that is commonplace. It's not knowledge uh, that is education. And so, so many people mistake, you know, rote memorization and, you know, teaching to the test for, you know, that means you're educated. 
in my mind, and I always say my, one of my favorite saying is that education is 90% inspiration. And if you're inspired to dig into a subject and really immerse yourself in it, it's when you really learn. You've got to be inspired. To, and the job of an educator is to inspire people. And we forget that. And it's just so sad. I have three kids and, um, you know, I, I see in the K through 12 world, they're, they're lucky in a grade school, but, but, and, you know, so many of their, their peers have to study for these, you know, tests where the teacher only teaches toward the test. That's education, that's knowledge transfer, and that's going to become, you know, commodity. Um, yeah, when really the task of a good educator is to inspire. And so what we have done at Ability is we, as, as you mentioned, we've created a hybrid model where, you know, 90% of the learning is done in social environments. There's still an online component. There's still some self-study. You know, there's always the homework component that you need to kind of deepen the learning. And, uh, you know, but the majority, the vast majority of the time that you spend learning, you spent in a virtual classroom with others, not listening to lecture or PowerPoint slide, but actually being put in the seat, in the hot seat of a, you're in our simulations, you're CEO of a company. You have to run the company make decisions in all areas of the company and then you reflect and you learn sometimes you fail in running your company and that's you know we often our our instructors say it's when you learn the most absolutely yeah i've stuffed up heaps beyond in my time <laughs> in my in my business plenty of um uh, yeah you'd say you call them mistakes in hindsight but really learning um, i've probably done a an mba just through um having a go <laughs> in, in uh in business for more than uh, 10 years. Um, but yeah, that, that's great. So, so, so sort of instilling that inspiration, um, from the teacher or the learning side to make people more engaged. And I guess, I guess in the workplace as well, at the moment, there's a, always a conversation that's been running now for maybe two or three years about employee engagement and what really motivates employees to either join a company or to, uh, stay in an organization. And sometimes we think of uh, throw more money at someone and that'll make them a better, happier person. And I also think with employee engagement, sometimes in business, we get stuck in the trap of trying to make our employees uh, happy rather than really learning about them and what they want. And then also being out of, I guess, job craft or craft a career pathway or an education pathway for yeah. them. What's your take on motivating employees or employee engagement in itself like what do you think's the the core at that the core problem there or the conversation about employee engagement yeah it's a perpetual conversation right you know the gallup always has this poll of you know there's 20 percent of the workforce that's perpetually actively disengaged right and so you always want to like you then are in a team meeting with 10 people and two of you guys are actively disengaged i wonder who you know so yeah yeah it's a it is, it is always one of the more difficult things that a manager can, can do or has to do is to figure out how to get, you know, this discretionary effort, people, right? You know, actively disengaged. People are like, no one is like not going to do a job, right? Otherwise, they're going to have that job in the next day, right? But what that does, but what, what happens, right, is that you have, uh, a huge difference between employees that are truly engaged, that are truly putting in um, the effort to, you know, make the common enterprise better, 
um, and employees that don't, right? And so, and there's this huge gap and we, you know, we oftentimes teach first-time managers that, that I have this deer in the head, like, like, look, you know, how do I, what do I even do? You know, how do I motivate? And then they fall back. And this is what we see a lot of first-timers making this, this very typical mistake. They fall back on, well, what motivates me? And so what motivates me must be what motivates all these other people, right? And so whatever that is, right, like that's what they're going to, that's what they're focusing on. And then, of course, a lot of times, you know, inexperienced managers uh, then stand in front of uh, some really bad outcomes. The famous saying, people join companies with the inspiration of like what the company does and they leave managers because their manager isn't able to translate that vision of the company of where people want to go into something that is truly motivational for the person that has to do the work on a day-to-day basis. Um, and so we spend a lot of time in the book actually on this topic of motivation and what motivates people. And the fact that there are so many different types of motivators. We, have, we were listing you know, quite a bunch of them. Daniel Pink has you know, three really big ones like autonomy and, 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 and purpose. There are actually even more than those three that Daniel Pink lists in his book, Drive. So we have about eight, 10 motivators that we go through. Um, and some of them are really surprising. You know, so, so some achievement is a motivator, of course. There's, there's always the, the possession of money that sometimes can be a motivator. But, but some are really subtly surprising and different. And so I often use the example of an IT uh, administrator who you can give a raise to. And they're thankful for it, but it's not going to make a difference, right? And you can give words of encouragement and recognition, and they're like nodding their head. That's fine, but like yeah, that's not working. So what is that motivator? Sometimes this is a story from someone that I work with, and, and I, they love the IT tools. So the possession of the tools, that was what really got them going in the morning. And so instead of giving them a raise, if you had given them, you know, another two, three thousand dollars worth of tools that they can utilize in their job to feel fulfilled and feel like they can do their job to the best of their ability. That's what was the the, the driver. So there are again, we we list you know eight to ten and now, but there's there's even more in the well. Like there's so many different motivators. The important part for managers to listen, not mm-hmm. assume that the person that works for you is motivated by the same thing that you're motivated by. Mm-hmm. And then truly actively uh, staying engaged and being present for that employee so that you can find out what really drives them. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, um, it's a constant conversation and always a big challenge if you speak with managers or leaders. It's, it's always that, yeah, that's understanding people, learning people, and it's often the technician that's been promoted into that middle management type job that is used yeah. to just being motivated themselves by doing a great job themselves. And maybe that's what, that's what excites them. But I, I feel like there's a, there's a really nice saying, oh, it's not a nice yeah. saying actually. It's assumptions are the termites of relationships. That's basically like if we, if we go around having relationships with people and we're making assumptions about what motivates them, it can really ruin things and it, and does it very, in a very slow, uh, a, a slow drawn out sort of way. But, um, but as you say, there's lots of different motivators and that's the job of leaders to discover um and stay with that as well yeah and too often i find you know managers 
thinking that, you know, what it takes is grandiose speeches, right? And so you have these you know, first-time managers sitting in front of their team, you know, creating uh, this, this grand speech thinking, you know, that's what's going to take, uh, you know, to get everyone motivated. And, they, you know, there's nothing wrong with an inspirational speech, but, um, but oftentimes the actual motivation people, it's so much more subtle. And it is a lot about the one-on-one -on -one interaction, the being present for the, for the person that you're working with, really understanding them and, and, and what gets them up in the morning. That's so much more valuable than, uh, you know, kind of sitting in front of the room, you know, your team meeting and trying to be inspiring. And oftentimes what we found is people start then to lose authenticity, right? Um, in the attempt to be inspiring. And so then they lose not just the motivation of people, but they also lose credibility. And once you've lost that, once you've lost credibility, you've lost the underlying fundamental piece of any manager-employee relationship, which is trust. And once mm -hmm. you lose the trust, you actually, it's very hard to motivate. And so we, we, we talk about this in the book, actually, as well as in the curriculum quite a bit. And we really go through these motivators and say, here are some of the things that can motivate people. And some, again, are... Yeah, it's fascinating. And, you know, early days for me, I used to always think, I'm quite introverted and being a leader, I thought I had to be this, um, extroverted, um, you know, well-spoken public speaker. And I remember doing what you were saying, which was the big, the big speech. And you, you feel like you're, you're, you're a coach of a football team and you're trying to rev people up and it, it didn't really land. I don't think, and I felt uncomfortable and not natural doing it, but where I was probably better at was actually one-on-one -on -one conversations with people and staying connected with people one-on-one, -on -one, probably because I'm better at the one-on-one -on -one chats rather than the big, you know, the persona that you're a, a big extrovert and you, you, you're like a, a big CEO sort yeah. of persona, which is not me. <laughs> and people see through it, right? And yeah. so, and then I think, you know, as, as you, as you get, uh, you know, more experienced as a, as a leader, you, you know, you realize like your authenticity is really the most important thing that you have. And some of these rah-rah speeches, right? For some people, it works. Some people are actually that way, and it's authentically them. Good for them. But I'm, I'm like you. I'm an introvert. I, I hate standing in front of people, and I, I do it a lot now, speaking about the book and everything. But yeah, you know, I'm naturally an introvert. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that I can't be passionate about the things that I really am passionate about and, and convey that to others. But yeah, it it, it is. If, if you if you're not authentic, people will see through that. Absolutely. Now, with the book, there's two main sections as far as I can summarize so far. So there's the numbers area and there's the people side, which is what we've started um, to dive into. You mentioned building trust and relationships with employees, and I've, I've shared with you how I sort of how I felt like I've failed in the past. Um, probably the thing that I reckon is the biggest challenge for leaders is setting good expectations or proper expectations of people. But then also being able to provide feedback and course correct when things aren't going well. I also think at the moment, um, not sure about your business, but we're hybrid, so we're in person and working from home, and it's and more so home than than in person. The new environment for that is sometimes we've we've found it's been interesting for feedback. Like, how do you do it online, but also make sure it's you know impactful as well and, and useful? I think the speed of feedback is important as well. Um, yeah, what do you think about setting expectations and providing feedback? Like is any best practices or anything that 
from the book that you can extract as core concepts? Yeah. So feedback is another big topic, right? So we, we've got, you know, setting expectations and then motivating people, understanding what, what, what drives people. Um, and then, you know, then the, the, the next part is like what, you know, when the work product comes back, making sure that you are giving feedback that is, you know, we, we have, we have these smart goals, right? So, you know, so you've got specific, actionable, all those things. But even more importantly than, you know, kind of some of the tools and techniques of how to give the specific feedback is making sure that before you even start giving any feedback, the entire relationship, the manager and the employees has to be built on this foundation of trust. And feedback can be perceived completely differently depending on whether you have that foundation or not. And so it's something really important uh, for any, any manager to first, you know, figure out, recognize, you know, realize what is my relationship with that person? How much is it, how much trust is there on both sides of the equation? Um, because if you don't start there, whatever you do in terms of giving feedback, you, it, may, it can be the most well-meaning feedback, you know, you know, to help someone grow in their career it's not going to have the intended effect. And so we actually start with, you know, kind of trust as the underlying foundation. And then, you know, on top of that, um, if you have that foundation, uh, you can give the harshest feedback. There's actually, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, oftentimes people say there's good and bad feedback and they equate good feedback with feedback that's like, hey, you did well, and bad feedback with, hey, you did not well. We actually say this is like, this is actually wrong. This is the wrong way to think about it because there's feedback that is really helpful to the person that where that is actually maybe the work product wasn't great. The feedback is still good if you give it in the right way. The only bad feedback is, is feedback that you give when there isn't the basis of trust and when you are eroding that relationship with your feedback. If you, if you have that basis of trust and you give feedback, it's, it's, even if it's truly constructive feedback, right? Bad feedback. And so people kind of think of what is good feedback and bad feedback always in the wrong terms, right? So it's, it's like bad feedback is non-specific feedback, feedback that isn't timely, feedback that isn't actionable, um, you know, th that is bad feedback, even if it's positive feedback, right? You know, hey, you did a good job. That's actually not good feedback. <laughs> That's actually bad feedback because it's not specific. It's like, what did I, what specifically did I do well? So yeah, yeah there's a ton well, of things around that, that we, that we teach in our career. Yeah, I really love that. I think my biggest learning and what I've seen as well in different businesses, is the timing, hey, it's like the, you know, you, you're the manager and you've, you've pulled all this feedback together, but you've missed the moment. So you've waited maybe a week to then give the feedback about something yeah. that happened a week ago and it never lands well because they're like, hang on, it's, this was a week. Why didn't, so it's sort of the speed I think is, is crucial as well, as you, as you say. Yeah, no, it's, and it's timely specific. All those are, are really good tactics, but again, underlying it is, is, is foundation. And actually, I, I know we're focused on the people side of the equation here on this Pfizer, mm. but, but no, no. Yeah, I, I do want to like the, what's really interesting. And, and so it, it is, it is true. It's, you know, in, in our book, we've, a lot, we've got a lot of people that have um, started 
uh, started to read and go, you know, let me go to the people section first. It's the number section. It's a, it's a little bit, you know, it's, it's a, different, a different section. It deals with financial numbers, deals with what is value, how is it created in a company. But here's what's really fascinating about the numbers part um, of this book, but, but I think in business in general. Uh, you know, people think that it's all about, you know, cold, hard facts. You know, these, there's a people and a squishy side, and then there's numbers and there's cold, hard facts. And, you know, the, the numbers are the number. It's actually, I think, quite the opposite. Um, so much of business, so all, of, all business value, we can talk about the book, all business value is actually forward. Right. It's not backward looking. It's not accounting. It's how much, how much will the company grow? How much will the company make profits? Not today, but in the future. That's what value, that's what, you know, that's what value is based on. That's what people are working toward. A lot of that is also based on trust. If you don't have a trusting relationship, you know, with the salespeople that say, I think I can accomplish this. And that rolls up into an unrealistic forecast. And that rolls up into a CEO making a promise that the shareholder um, then, you know, two years later discovers it was, a, was an empty promise. Um, well, you've got a lot of bad situations coming up. You know, we see this with companies all the time. So what I find fascinating is that these, the people side and the number side of business is intertwined. And trust is actually underlying both. And so that's one of the key messages of, of the book is that, you know, the people in the numbers that you can't, to be successful in business, you can't just look at one side, you have to look at both. Yeah, it's a really, really good point. The integration of both of those things, especially around value and that really good example of yeah, having that trust and the relationship with your sales team or manager who's going to say, yeah, we can grow this 30% next year. Like as soon as that trust is eroded or something goes wrong there, then how can you trust the, the forecast or the, you know, the, the information that you're getting? It's very much, as you say, it's, it's sort of um, the assumption people make is numbers are just, yeah, hard facts and the people's a little bit of the softer, softer stuff and a bit murkier, but they're actually ingrained really strongly within each, each other. There's that example that you have in the book, which is probably a well-known story about Nokia um, is it, was it Nokia the, where the, um, where yeah. they, the, the decision-making around their share, um, yeah, price the most, or, sorry, their forecast. Yeah. Yeah. The most successful cell phone manufacturer in the world, right? Like a company you would not imagine, like, so it be selling cell phones 10 years later, right? Like in the early two thousands, it was every phone. Um, and then, you know, within a few short years, the iPhone, um, Motorola, others just mm -hmm. basically took their entire market share away. So in the book, we talk about like, how, how could that happen? And what, what are some of the, the pitfalls that companies can fall into when you don't have this underlying social contract trust between all of the various parties that have to ultimately work together, the employees, the, the shareholders, the customers suppliers um so so yeah we, there's some great great lessons around you know what can go wrong in business and and so much is counterintuitive which which i find so fascinating about business right it, i mean you, you 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 probably appreciate that with some of your background right like the, so much of business is psychology um mm. so much mm. of it is you know understanding how to read people and read intentions 
um, the numbers are such as like the actual numbers are such a small part of it. So even in the number side of the business, we talk about the, the non-number parts, the influence, how many things have to go right as people, you know, to, to, for a business to succeed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Bjorn, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciated it. Your book's really interesting. Um, I'm going to share your book details in the show notes. I'd highly recommend, um, getting this book so you can have a good read. And I think the, as we've discussed, the numbers and the people side integrate together to create, um, what is value essentially in, in a business. But again, yeah. thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Yeah. And also the book is based on the curriculum. So if you are interested in the curriculum at ability.com, we'd love to, it's, we have an open enrollment offering. We, we do this as close cohorts for our large companies, but we also have an open enrollment and we, uh, two spring cohorts starting in, in March and April. So for anyone, I know Australia has a different time zone, so it's a little bit uh, more, more, more challenging, but for anyone listening in, uh, you know, the European uh, US time zones, uh, definitely check out the curriculum as well. Amazing. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in to another Well Workplaces podcast. If you've loved the show, it would be fantastic if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or feel free to follow us on LinkedIn or Instagram and search Well Workplaces or my profile, Tom Bosner. If you would like to hear more about our exclusive events and more about the Well Workplaces community, feel free to email me directly at tom at wellworkplaces.com.au where I'd love you to tell me who I should interview in the future podcasts. This podcast is really built on community input and built on the aspiration of inspiring healthy change in every workplace. Thanks for listening.